everyone, I'm Rachel here with Ari and we're your hosts for the Merry Writer podcast. This week we're on episode 158 and we are joined by a guest as we ask, how do you handle multiple novels, plots, and story arcs? Before we dive into the topic, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, if you haven't already. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with friends and feel free to write a review. Please help us welcome our guest for today, Troy Lambert, to the show. Troy, thank you so much for joining us. It is great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Before we go any further, would you like to tell us a little bit about your writing background and things like that? Um, sure. So um, when I wanted to be a writer from the time I was very young, um, when I was 14, I told all my high school counselors and stuff I wanted to be a full-time writer. And they told me that that was impossible. And so I believed them because they were experts. And so who was I to question the experts? So I wasted about 30 years. I didn't waste that time. I shouldn't say that. But I, I spent about 30 years with what I call various hairnets, name tags, and careers um, until I just decided finally that I had to figure this writing thing out or I wasn't sure what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And so um, in 2009, I started writing full-time which was it was an interesting that was an interesting timing for writing full-time indie publishing was coming on small presses that were kind of doing the digital first thing were kind of a thing um so it was a good time for a writer to come in and start a writing career but of course i didn't know that i had no idea um i'd been clueless for years about how publishing worked um and so that was the big thing to figure out i knew i was a talented writer i had the ability to tell stories but i had to figure out how to make money and um, that was obviously the most difficult challenge in that transition. And I've been doing that ever since. So 31 novels, a whole bunch of other stuff that I've written, a bunch of nonfiction books. So um, yeah, really great stuff. Wow, that's awesome. Good for you. Uh, because I went through the exact same thing. I had my high school guidance counselor tell me that I was delusional if I wanted to be a writer. So I I went with it anyway, and I kept writing and I researched how to publish novels and things like that. Um, but yeah, I agree there. You kind of get stuck in that moment where you're like, oh, this really isn't a viable career. And the you're right. The biggest challenge is making money from it because you can write, write, write. But then if if it doesn't sell, then, yeah, you're an author, but you don't have a career as an author. So good for you for pushing through that and over 30 novels. Wow. Yeah, it was an it, it's it's been an interesting journey, but it's interesting that you bring that up because I was just talking to somebody about it the other day because they were like, "Well, what do you?" And I'm like, "Not everybody should have a writer career," and they were like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I used to be a big proponent of everybody should try to publish, everybody should try to have a writing career." Um, but as I the longer I do this, more I realize there's two aspects to it: the business side and the craft side. And some people just can't do the business side, and they don't really want to learn. And I'm like, well, then regardless of your path to publication, whether it's traditional or self-publishing, you still need to learn about the publishing industry and the publishing world. And when they don't want to do that, I tell them, well, then maybe you should just keep this as a hobby because the business side of it is is serious and you can lose a lot of money as much as you can make a lot of money. So you need to really think about those things before you say, yeah, this is what I want to do for a living. So I used to be really big on everybody all in and do this for a living. And then I changed my mind i have to say that's that doesn't surprise me because you see so many uh especially people getting into writing now who are just like oh yeah you write a book you publish it and it sells and it's like well no they're selling it's, it's not that it sells there has to be selling there has to be marketing there has to be accounts and taxes and all this and we still see people now who are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go through to traditional publishing because I don't want to deal with marketing and I don't want to deal with anything. And it's like, um, you're going to be dealing with a very rude awakening when you get there if you manage to get in, which would be great. But yeah, there's still marketing and there's still an expectation of what you have to bring to the table more than just here's a book. And it's so shocking that so many people still don't realize that. Yeah, I often tell people I hired like a few years ago, I had a PR firm. And even now, like I have someone obviously who sets up like these podcasts for me and stuff like that. But I'm like, the, those people are effectively giving you homework. Like you don't want him to show up and talk about my books. Like you'd be like, what? Why are you talking about someone else's books? You are the world's leading expert on your book because you wrote it. So nobody wants to hear from your publisher. Nobody wants to hear from your PR manager 
manager. Nobody wants to hear from those people. The, all they're going to do is give you things to do. So all they're doing is the background work. And then you go and you write the blog post for the place, or you show up on the podcast, or you show up at the book signing event, or whatever the case may be. So whether you schedule those yourself, or whether somebody does it for you, it's on you. When the ads for your book come out, they come from your account. Nobody wants to hear from somebody else's account about your book to a limited extent. I mean, if they do a review or something like that, but they still have a limited number of people that are going to buy your book because of them. It's because of you and who you are as an, as an author. And it's your face that's the one that's the face of your book, your face in the cover, but you're the face of your business. And anybody who tells you anything different is probably trying to sell you something and it's probably a scam. Wow. You know, that's something that I always knew, but the way you worded it just kind of put it in this different perspective for me. Because I used to be a freelance book publicist and I actually had a client who I set up a, a blog interview for. So it, it was written and they were like, yeah, here's sample interview questions and answers. And I was like, well, this is, are the set of questions that they sent. And they were like, okay, here are my, here's my basic answers. And I was like, you got to write it. I'm not writing it for you. I set it up. Here's the stuff. Now do it. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I get that. Wow. That was, that was really well said how you said, cause yeah, you're right. You're, you're, you're books expert. Nobody wants to hear from your publicist or your publisher about it. Like who knows your book better than you? Yeah. I, and I'll just, this is a quick aside story. That has nothing to do with our topic, but I'll tell you the story. So I, I ran a small publishing house with a friend of mine and we, published this nonfiction book that was about a, a English soccer team, right? And the author didn't want to do any public publicist type work. So I went and appeared on all these different podcasts, these soccer podcasts, right? But the only result of that was like one of the podcasts I became known as their American correspondent. They're like, this dude gets up at 4.30 in Idaho to talk to us, 4.30 in the morning in Idaho to talk to us on our podcast um, and talk about his team that he likes, right? And we would mention the book, but it never affected sales of the book. I'm not the author. I just published the book for the author. So it never moved the needle. I just became a famous soccer fan. Well, kind of frankly, who cares? Like, why Why does that matter? Like, it did, it did me no good. That doesn't help my career at all. It didn't help the book at all. It didn't help the author at all. It didn't help the publisher at all. It, it just lost me sleep. So like you, you are the author, you appear, you show up, you do the things, regardless of whether you have a publisher, regardless of who that is, because if the publisher tries to do something without you, it isn't going to work. It doesn't work. So anyway, I'll stop preaching now. Preaching is never a bad thing if it's good advice. I'm actually going to use this as a segue. So in terms of juggling the business side of writing and the craft side of writing, let's uh, zero in on that craft a little bit, because for this podcast episode, we're talking about juggling multiple story arcs in one book. So I'm going to head right into the topic. And Troy, I'm going to ask you, what are the benefits of having multiple story arcs in one book? Well, there's a couple. The, the first one is that it adds some tension and some interest to the book. Right. Um, and this it, it isn't always necessary, but it adds some it adds another depth to your characters and to the book. It also helps you avoid that muddle in the middle that people go through. This, this the one character is going on this journey. Oh, yeah, he's walking. He's walking. He's no, we in the middle of the book, we we can only take so much walking unless it's an epic fantasy written by Brandon Sanderson in secret. And then you have a Kickstarter and you make millions of dollars and it's all good. But um, it. In most books, that muddle in the middle does not work. That is where the reader leaves. But if you have a strong secondary plot or a strong parallel plot, that plot can hold their interest while we're getting through this journey over here that maybe doesn't have as much tension. Although that's not the ideal way to do things, but it is a way that you can do multiple story arcs. But multiple story arcs allow you to add some depth by telling different sides of the story. So my latest book, Teaching Moments, actually has two parallel plots. One of them is a serial killer giving a confession to someone. You don't know who's confessing. You don't know who they're confessing to. But this thing is happening throughout the entire book. What in, on the other side, there's a mystery that's unfolding. Both of them follow a similar story arc. But until the end, you don't know how they tie together. And you're going to think about halfway through that you know what's going on and you're wrong. 
and I promise you're wrong because everybody that's read it, including my wife, was wrong. Like they think they know me. They don't know me, right? They're wrong. Um, and but to pull that off, like what it does, it adds a really like people are like, wow, this story reads really fast. It's longer than the first book in the series, and people say it reads faster, which is weird to me. They're like, it reads like it's shorter. I'm like, no, it's not shorter. It's like 10,000, 15,000 words longer. So it can help you with the pacing of your book and it can help you add that conflict and tension and that sense of, I wonder what is happening to your reader. So it's a, it, they're really power, it's a really powerful tool, really powerful tool. So basically having multiple story arcs kind of, they kind of work together to help strengthen your overarching like novel and the overall plot. Would you say that having like, more than one story arc that's technically different than having the main plot and a subplot or would you say that they're kind of similar so it's kind of similar a subplot is another story arc right it's another story arc that's laid underneath the one so let's say you have a primarily you have a mystery story plot but underneath it you have a romance subplot right um the the main thing to understand is even with multiple story arcs even if they're almost parallel like with my book, one of them takes the lead. One is the primary story. The other is the secondary story. And that needs to be really clear. Or if you have, let's say you have four story arcs because you're writing epic sci-fi, epic fantasy, something like that, right? But one of them is the lead, is what you would call the main plot. The other ones are either secondary or subplots. The difference between those is how much of a role they play in the story and how strong each plot is to stand on its own. In other words, it becomes a parallel part plot when if you wrote that plot, it could be its own story. Might not be as long of a book, but it could be its own story. Usually a subplot is weaved into the story where if you took the subplot out, your main story would not be the same. And if you took out the main story, your subplot would probably not be a very good story all by itself. It's helpful if that subplot actually is a good story all by itself. And so that's a, it's a helpful thing to separate those when you're through the writing and planning process to go, okay, if this story was a story all by itself, would it at least still make sense? Now we might not have all the character depth and stuff like that. That's added by the main plot. The main plot can do, be a lot where you do your character development that feeds that subplot, but would it still be a story? And that's a, it's a good question to ask yourself is, are these separate plots that are parallel or are they intertwined with one another? So it, it really just depends on the book and the story. I have to say, I, I love multiple story arcs. I think it's because I spent most of the time at reading like the higher fantasy and the epic fantasy. So to me, it was like, oh yeah, yeah you had to have like multiple characters weaving around and going back and forward and like, you know, groups breaking up and then coming back together and all these like little intrigues breaking off and like, where's he going? What's he doing? Kind of thing. And I always found it really strange the first time I ever read a book that didn't have multiple arcs, you know, something a bit simpler that had just the one. And it, it actually, just for me, not having, not casting aspersions on anybody else, it felt like it was lacking. But I always found that when you have multiple story arcs, it gives you that kind of meteor book. And I assume when with the multiple story arcs, it would be probably easier to kind of keep the hooks going, especially if you had like story arcs that separated out. So say you were following one group of people and then they separated into two groups. So you follow group A and then they get to a point and there's a big cliffhanger and then the author goes, you know what, let's go to group B. And you're like, wait, what happens to group A? And then the same thing happens. And then suddenly there's a group C that you forgot about. And I always think that works better for the hooks. Do you agree with that? So yes and no, it because it depends largely on the reader. So people who like epics and things like that, it, it can be an effective tool. Here's where it doesn't work. When you leave that hook for too long, and this happens frequently, especially with new writers. This is why I tell new writers, like your first book should probably be very simple. Have just a minimum. If you're going to have a couple different story arcs, fine, even if you're writing fantasy, but don't write one with eight because you're going to mess that up. 
And and it's not because you're not talented. It's because that's another level of talent. You know, the book I just wrote, Teaching Moments, 10 years ago, I would have messed that up. I would not, I did not have the skill to write that book properly and intertwine those two story arcs the way they needed to be. So it can be an effective hook, but this brings up what you brought up that really interests me as those secondary characters, okay? Because each of them should have their own character arc, even if, because often what people will have, what will happen to people with my books is they'll be like, I really like this person in chapter two, one and two, but they're not a main character. So you're going to kill them, aren't you? I'm like, oh, you betcha I am, because I want you to like them. I want you to like that character. I want them to have their own character arc so that when I kill them, first of all, you care. Second of all, we weave their background in as part of the mystery and part of the background of the victim, first of all, gives us clues to the mystery, but also makes you care about them even more. And it gives them their own character arc. So even if you have a book that is technically doesn't have multiple story arcs, it still does because you're telling the stories of multiple characters that are weaving together to form this. If a suspect is going to be a viable suspect in a mystery, they need to have a story. And that story is what makes you suspect them or go, man, I hope that's not the one. Because I don't want her to turn out to be a bad person. I like her, um, which is often why I make that person turn out to be a bad person, because then people like the bad guy and now they're conflicted. They're like, I want her to get caught, but I don't. I want to. Um, but anyway, so. But each of those people has their own story. So regardless of whether you're writing a, an epic with a multiple story arc, you're still writing a story with multiple story arcs. Those story arcs are just smaller than they would be in an epic. So in answer to your question, yes, it does help those hooks, but it also helps those hooks just to have more character. The more characters we're vested in, the more that people go, oh, I really want to know what happened to that person. So it allows you to do multi, what I call multi-layer hooks, which then gives you what I call potato chip chapters, where somebody's reading and they're like, just one more, just one more. And then they wake up at 2 a.m. and they're covered in fiction crumbs and their Kindle has hit their face because they fell asleep and they finished your book and they call you in the morning. And they're like, I hate you and I love you at the same time. And you're like, that's wonderful. Why? How did you get my number? And, um, you know, things like that. So anyway, but you you have multiple story arcs, whether you want to or not, is I guess what my point is. Uh, first of all, potato chip chapters is the greatest thing I've ever heard. That is hilarious. And I'm going to be using that from now on. Um, this actually, not to make this episode all about me, but I have to say, this is actually making me feel really good because I'm thinking back to my own mystery novel and I'm realizing that I... I always I have two story arcs going, but I realized that I have another one underlining it that I didn't even realize until you just explained all of that. Um, the I introduced the victim to my story, and when I submitted the first few chapters to my writers group back, uh, you know, a while ago, um, everybody loved her and raved about her, and I felt bad because I was like, she's the victim, and they don't know that yet. And um, when she died, they were pissed. Um, it was hilarious. I loved it. Loved every moment of it. Um, but as they try to solve her murder, we learned so much about her and stuff. And now I'm realizing, I'm like, oh, I have more depth to my characters and my plot than I realize. Huh. That's great. <laughs> That is that is actually really awesome because that's your secondary characters make a huge difference. And each one does have their own story. But I, I love it when a reader, you know, emails me and says, hey, you made this character in this book, even though they were a sub character, I'd like them. I want to know more about their story. I like them. And that that can give you ideas for a spinoff series. It also but it also just tells you hey, this person was invested in this character. Even though I did not invest a lot of screen time for that character, they care enough about them that they want to know what's next for that person. So it is a, it's a subtle story arc, but it is you should have multiple depth and multiple layer to your story. Clear story arcs add that in a much more upfront, in-your-face, this is, this is a completely different story type thing. Um, 
one of my novels, Stray Ally, has a smaller one. It was I wrote it when I was in 2013, I think, um, something like that. But anyway, it has a smaller secondary story that kind of catches up with the main story a little faster. But still, it gives you the background of this main character. So you're like, this main character is actually not the hero in that story. The dog is the hero. The main character is not that heroic. He's kind of a really flawed hero, right? And But we see that because we see his background. So we understand he's a very flawed hero, but this is why he is flawed. And this is, it kind of allows us to go, yeah, he's kind of kind of a bad guy, but we forgive that because he's doing good things. I have to, I love it when you get side characters that kind of resonate more. And it seems to be happening more and more because you often get more authors nowadays doing like little bonus scenes connected to side characters that, write, that readers have gone, I really like this character. I'd like to know more about them. And as you said, they could be spin-offs, could be extra scenes, could be novellas, anything like that. So it always gives you more scope as if we don't have enough things to be writing and not enough time. But anyway, <laughs> so speaking of time and, and, and the best way of doing things, Second question is, or fourth, I don't know, because Rachel added extras. What is the best way of weaving multiple plots together so you've got more of a cohesion? Well, so I'm going to tell you, you know, kind of tying this to plotter and to writing tools is that you need to make sure the story beats of those two stories line up. And what I mean by that is the midpoint for one character is also the midpoint for another character. Now they have, they may have different things happening that are part of that midpoint. So using what I do is I use story structures, sometimes two different story structures. But the more you study story structure, the more you discover they're the same, then they're different. There's just different language that's involved with each one and sometimes a different number of beats that add another layer of detail. But it's it's pretty much the same. Like it's all based on similar things that happen in stories because stories have an arc and have an order that we all know and understand whether we consciously adapt that or not. With us, When you're doing multiple story arcs, it is a really good idea to consciously adapt that. And to go, is the midpoint of this story the midpoint of this story? For instance, let's say you're telling a book from the viewpoint of your protagonist and your antagonist. So those are your two parallel stories. For your protagonist, something good happens to him. What happens to the antagonist? Usually something bad happens to him. Their, their character arcs are opposing. They're opposite. High point for your hero, low point for your antagonist. High point for your antagonist, low point for your hero. And so you can cause those, those places where their stories intersect, those places where we have those moments for both. One of the greatest examples of this is the movie Heat with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. If you ever do the, like, just do a plot analysis of, so for, analyze things, analyze fiction that you really like, do plot analysis. It's good for you. It's bad for your relationship with your family if you do it live while you're watching the movie. But it's good for you as an, as an author. Sometimes you need to just shut up and let your wife watch the movie if you want to stay married and you love her and stuff like that. But anyway, um, but if you look at that story, we're, t we're telling the story from two different points of view, from a few different points of view, but both, there's a few that are the bad guys, there's the good guy. And it almost every time there's an opposing thing happening between the two, but what's interesting is when both of them have the dark night of the soul at the same, almost the same moment, where one of them says, the cop says, I give up, they're gone. They shook all the tails, we're through, we're out, everybody go home, they got away with this heist, and they're free. We're never going to catch them. And the moment when Robert De Niro in his car says, I am not going to let that guy get away, I am going to get revenge on that guy before I leave town. And I have to do it. I can't leave it alone. And that's the moment that gets him, sends him towards being caught. And that's the moment that sends the good guy towards catching him. But both of them have a dark night of the soul within minutes of each other in that film. And it, But it's clearly very deliberate on the part of the authors. They both saw where that dark night of the soul is. And they both ensured that both characters met in that dark night at the exact same time so it's, it's just a brilliant piece of storytelling but make sure that those 
that your story arcs actually parallel so that your reader can follow who is where. If they're too far disconnected and the midpoint for one happens way over here and the midpoint for the other happens way over here, the reader won't know what's wrong. They'll just say there's something wrong with the story. And they, they can't pinpoint it, can't tell you what, that's your job as the author to understand that story structure. That's a really good point. Because um, I'm I'm very much a planter. I, I'm mostly a plotter, but then about three quarters of the way in, it seems to get a bit fluid. And that, and I have, I, obviously when I write things, it goes to my other half. And there have been times where there's been that funny like expression of like, hmm, hmm. And there's usually been in the past where I've left too much of a distance or something's happened and then the second plot, the second character, and it's not, it's been so disconnected and it's like, yeah, nothing's happened for ages and then suddenly something's happened over here and it feels like it should have been connected, but, you know, I put too much extra in between and it's, it's it just shows just how important it is when you are plotting to think rather than just this one line, you know, this specific, you know, the protagonist, we're following this person, they go from A to B to C to D, and then, like, think the others, like, randomly. It's like they all need to be done at the same time to kind of give you that. And I have to admit, I made that mistake a lot when I started and I have to keep reminding myself because I do have multiple plots to like, I get my protagonists out and I'll get my villain. And then sometimes I have other, because I write uh, multiple books, I have to think, right, okay, this other character is quite important because they're going to be the more important one in book two. And then I have to add that one in. And even now, every now and then I have forgotten. And then when I've laid it out on the floor, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't line up at all. I'm cramming everything in at the end because I missed something. <laughs> So yeah, that's a, a problem. Well, and this this is where something like like a tool like Plotter comes in two areas here. First of all, it is even if you don't know everything about the last part of your plot, if you set up what I call tentpole events, which are the major events that happen, then you can discovery right between those. But eventually, you're going to go. I'm not to the second plot twist yet, and it's been more than a few minutes. You know, so you have to go, okay, what am I actually going to do to make that that part of the story work, right? So, you know, just go back and look at it um, and say, okay, where am I? What am I doing? Um, and prevents you from laying a whole bunch of things out on the floor, which is what I used to do too. It's really bad. Um, but the other part that's really important is a series Bible. And people pay people to create series Bibles for them, but you can create it as you go with Plotter. And this is how I do it. I tell people, I go back and clean things up later. But the first time I describe a character in my writing that day, at the end of the day, I take that description of that character and I paste it into Plotter and I leave it. I'll go back and clean it up and separate it out and make it all neat and pretty later. But initially, I just put that initial description in there. And if I learn things about their personality along the way, I'll just jot them down in there. And then when I'm in the revision process, I'll go and make it look nicer and clean it up and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? But initially, at least I know basics, like what color their hair was, what color their eyes were, and like in in part as well, like where are they supposed to appear in the story? And so I can look and see if I haven't mentioned this character for four chapters and they're supposed to be a major character in the story, where did they go and how can I bring them back from there without without it being contrived? So sometimes that means going back into those chapters you wrote and going, where do I add them in here, at least in appearance? Hey, cheerio, how are you? Um, rather than just leaving them completely absent. So it's it's tracking those things is really important. And there's a number of ways that you can do that. But having a system, having a pro, like I have a process, I have a system for tracking those things. Because as we said, when, when we were starting, before we were, when we were off air, my memory is like terrible. I can't find my keys. Right. But I can hold the story in my head. But there are times when that character will drop out of my attention for whatever reason, unless I have deliberately put in something that reminds me to bring them back to my attention. So that's it, it's the same thing with those subplots. If you leave them languishing for too long, it's supposed to be a romance subplot. But the two characters that are supposed to be romantically involved haven't talked to each other for days with no apparent reason. Then you're going to be like, 
okay, would you do that with your significant other? Well, not if you want to live long and prosper and all that stuff. So no, we're not going to do that, right? Um, so just having a system in place for tracking those things is really, really important um, to you as a writer because it also speeds up your first draft and speeds up your revision process, which efficiency is also important. Yeah, all I'm hearing is that I have way more work to do in terms of plotting out my novel. I thought I was pretty good at outlining everything and I have all my notes nice and neat and organized. And now I'm realizing that I have so, so much more work to do. Uh, because at the time that we're recording this episode, I am currently taking a course on the craft of storytelling, and I was working a little bit on it yesterday, and they were talking a lot about the dramatic arc and like the story pyramid, as I like to call it. And I'm sitting there like, I know all this stuff, let's like keep it moving. But they showed the pyramid and they were like, if you have your climax at the top and your climax happens over here like towards the beginning of the story or too early. Well, then you have, they use a lot of movie references. They were like, then you have like 45 minutes left of the movie and your audience is sitting there being like, mm, well, we finished. So what's going to happen now? And then they're just kind of hanging around. And I feel like that's kind of the way, like when you have multiple plots together uh, from what you just explained, if you have one plot that's moving faster than the other, then the audience can go off on this path all the way over here. And they don't really know where they're going and they don't know where the characters are going. And then it becomes a mess. So with all of that said, what organization tips do you have for juggling multiple story arcs? I know you already talked about the series Bible, but let's talk more on that. Well, um, one of them is story structure. Um, and so, you know, commercial for plotter is basically we have templates in there that provide you with story structure. If you look at them, they will parallel really well, even if you're using more than one. So sometimes I'll use a romance subplot, a mystery, it's my main plot, you know, type of thing, right? And they do parallel pretty well. And it's good to just check in. Now, if you are a planter or a, a discovery writer, it's okay to do this in your revision process instead. Because when you write that first draft to me, that's a zero draft, that's your outline draft. You told yourself the story, congratulations, now you know what's going on, right? Now, look at that. And, and for me, I'll just say, like, um, you know, I just finished book number 31 not very long ago, um, cleaned it up and sent it to my editor. What did I really write, though? I wrote a horrible first draft that everybody writes horrible first drafts and then I had to go back and clean it up. So even if you're a planner, you have to understand your first draft is still going to be horrible. And 31 novels in, my first drafts are still horrible and they're probably going to continue to be horrible. And the sooner you just accept that, that that's part of your life and that's part of your life as a writer, the easier your life will be because then you'll stop crying about it and do something about it. So anyway, um, and because crying, well, anyway, sometimes it accomplishes things. It's a great emotional outlook. Anyway, well, that's another, that's a whole other topic. Okay. Um, but story structure. So you apply a story structure at some point in your planning, especially with multiple story arcs. So you look at an established story structure. I don't care if that's the hero's journey. I don't care if it's romancing the beat. I don't care what it is, whatever works for you and your story. And you just check your work. Okay. Being a writer is giving yourself English homework every day for the rest of your life. That's what it is. What you're doing is using a tool to check your work. Right. Instead of having a teacher that goes, ah, ah, that's not the way it goes. You just you go, okay, let me let me check my work. Does my inciting incident happen here? Does that happen with my other story? Does it also happen here or close to here? Now don't do math. We were talking about math or don't do math. Like don't say, have somebody tell you, well, the inciting incident can happen by 12% in the story. And you're like, my story is 72,000 words long, 72,000 line, 12 percent. Well, if I don't have this by 8,400 words, you know, no, don't do that. If you're in the if you're in the ballpark, those are averages. Those are averages. If you ever seen anything like about Save the Cat and stuff like that, they're averages. They're like we analyze a whole bunch of story. Here's the average. That doesn't mean that bink, you got to hit it right on. Okay, so don't do math. But if you're in that general area for both of your inciting instances for both of your plots, you're on track. If you're not, you need to look at. You know, for many writers, the first two chapters you write of most novels, you can just throw them away. That's you getting yourself into the story and telling yourself things that the reader never needs to hear, right? So it's about that pacing of going, okay, what is my pacing? So use tools that help you establish your pacing. 
Also, use writers groups that help you establish your pacing. Now, we critique groups is a whole other discussion. Critique and writing groups is like a whole other podcast. So we're not going to go down that road other than to say, like, you should find a good one. And if you find a good one, stick with it. Okay, that's really important. Find a good one, stick with a good one. Um, but there are some bad ones, and there are some ways to figure out which ones are good and bad. But what the thing that a writer's group will do is they don't always have the right answer for you, but somebody will point to something in your story and say, this happens at the wrong time. And that causes you, that should cause you to look at it. They might be wrong about how to fix it, but they can point, you can see, you can point to there and go, there is a problem there that I need to address, that I need to fix, right? So use tools, use story structure, use other people, your peers, okay? And use a series Bible, again, to keep your stories and your characters and your plots organized. Now, if you're, if you're a pantser, do this in the revision process. If you're a plotter, plot ahead of time, but then be sure you go back and check your work and see that what you actually wrote versus what you plan to write, be sure those things still line up and that you're still in the right ballpark for those things. This, this is something you should do before you send your work to your editor because it's going to save you lots of money. If your editor has to come back and say, by the way, you need to move this whole section somewhere else in your book or take it out, right? That's an expensive thing. You're paying editors by what they do and the time that they spend, right? So you want to save money on an editor, do this stuff yourself before you send it out and check your story structure. Make sure that those story arcs actually parallel. Also, one last thing about them is make sure that they're relevant to one another. And this is something that people do often as well, is they'll have two different story arcs. And I'm like, well, actually, you have two different books here. Like, they're not related. So, like, the characters aren't the same. They don't interact with each other at some point. So why are they in the same book? So make sure that when they're parallel, they actually are relevant to one another. There's intersections between those two plot lines or three plot lines or whatever they are where everybody comes together for the big battle. Or So there's a reason they're all journeying towards the same place. Something along that line that makes them related and relevant to one another. Don't write two irrelevant plot lines next to each other in the same book and think that your readers will get it and tolerate it. Um, because if you think about it, you wouldn't if you were reading that book. So don't think that your reader will either. They're not gonna, you're not that great of a writer that they're just gonna forgive all the mistakes that you make and say, ah, that, that's great. You, your prose is beautiful, so I'm cool with that. No, it's not gonna happen. Um, it, it's a nice dream, um, but wake up, use story structure and figure out your, st your story arcs. Keep them parallel and working together. I have to say, I, I do feel a little cold. <laughs> One of my stories I wrote like years ago um, that went on and on and on. I had um, a whole like section. It was like a whole part of all these different characters that were technically connected to the others, but they that didn't connect at all during the book. And I loved all of it. And my partner was just like, it doesn't work. It needs to be book two. You need to take all. And I fought him on that because I loved it so much. And it just sat there. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not taking it. No, we're, no, we're keeping them. We're keeping. And he's like, it doesn't read well. It just does. And in the end, it was like, God damn, yeah, it doesn't read well, does it? And I had to take the whole lot out. And it was such, a, it was so much. It was almost like half a book. So I lost half a book. But it did make such a difference. But I just, I got so in my own head about how much I loved the characters and where, where it was all going. But it was it was so much going on. I didn't have time to pull them back to, to like connect with the other group. And I, and I ended up moving the other group in a completely different direction. They were over there. And then this group would started over here. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to have to do a lot of walking to get them back together. And it just didn't work, but wow, it took me a long time to acknowledge that, yeah, you need to take that out. It either needs to go or become a separate book. And yeah, wow, <laughs> that's that's a bit of a blast from the past. So I will tell you a true story. There, there. So I do a lot of editing as well. I don't do as much editing as I used to because I don't want to um, and I don't have to. Um, but I still do some editing and like I was this, it was for a, a relative of a friend of mine. And she's like, this guy really needs help with this book. And then I saw his book and I'm like, yeah, he really does need help with this book. And the reason is it was a horror manuscript that was 155,000 words. Now, if you know anything about the horror genre, that means that's three 
horror books, typically. Okay, and that's that's three, not one. And he had a trilogy of these books, each of them 155,000 words. When we got the first one edited and got it down, it was 68,000 words at the end of it. Now, here's why. He had extra characters, extra parallel plots. He had the serial killer conducting two different types of killings at exactly the same time. Like he had two different type personalities. And while that was really interesting and sort of cool, it just drug on. Like you're like, oh, now he's doing this kind. And it didn't like it doesn't work for that type of a genre. Right. Um, there's no there's no epic horror category. It, it just doesn't work. We can't we don't release horror books that are the length of the New Testament. No, they're a, they're just the Gospels, just the Gospels. That's all you get. Right. Yeah, and then you're done. So um, and so but we were able to we just removed those parts. And I said, listen, if you really love this part, this can be a separate book about a different killer entirely. Right. This doesn't have to be a part of this book. In the next book, this part doesn't have to be a part of this book. You're adding complication because you think for whatever reason that this I love this part of the story. And it is cool. Admittedly, it is cool, but it's not related. It's not relevant. It doesn't work for your readers. It doesn't work for me as an editor. I go, man, no, we can't do this. It doesn't. And he would get caught. And there's all these different mistakes. And we can't do that. We have to have this be a viable person. Um, one of those where you have the mistakes of your villain is, or your um, uh, the police are so inept, like they just don't notice things. And you're like, no, 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 we're not. We can't do that because it, while that may be true sometimes, it doesn't work in fiction because we can't make fiction that way, right? It has to make sense to people. And so it was. It was just like that. Like he had these parts. He's like, this is my baby. And I'm like, I don't care if it's your baby or not. It's got to go. You know, it, it's got to go. And so that kill your darlings thing is also really important is to go, let's make sure that this is relevant that fits in this story. And if it doesn't, it can fit in another story later. And I have an ideas folder and things like that. And just toss that in the ideas folder. And maybe you'll go back to it later and write another book. Maybe you won't. Either way, there's no writing that's bad writing. It was good practice. And it introduced you to some characters and stuff that you loved, and maybe you'll use it later. But either way, you knew it didn't belong. Your partner knew it didn't belong. And, you know, you just, at some point, you have to make that decision and go, okay, I'm willing to let other people help me shape my story because sometimes they know better. Yeah, grudgingly. I, I, I am awful for that. My partner is really good, and he will, you know, give me the good advice he's, he's brilliant with writing if you know, he will be and it's very gently gently because i will have a bit of an explosion moment like what are you talking about this is brilliant and he'll be like is it are you sure but he just stuck to his guns and i was just like cursing him like he doesn't know what he's talking about he doesn't and then like you know four or five days later he's like yeah i think he does okay okay i'll take it out that actually reminds me a story that's kind of sort of off topic, but when I was part of my writers group, we had a rule that we were put into a cone of silence whenever uh, the rest of the group was discussing our work. And we would have a different object every single month we met to like just put in front of us and be like, this is our cone of silence. And the host of the writers group would set a timer for like 20 to 30 minutes and everybody would just have a discussion on your piece. And when the timer went off, you had the opportunity to ask questions and have people clarify their feedback, but you weren't, the number one rule was that you were not allowed to defend your writing because it was just, this is how the readers interpreted it. And if they didn't interpret it the way that you wanted to, then you needed to take your piece back, go back home and figure out, okay, why didn't this work? Why does it work well in my head, but not to the readers? And that's something that's always, I mean, this was advice from 2015, and that's something that's always stuck with me. Now my my writer's group disbanded um, after COVID, and we get together once a month to play Dungeons and Dragons now. <laughs> that is really funny, but we did, the, we, like, we had a similar thing with um, one of our critique groups as well, was like, you, you just stay silent, you can't defend your work. And we had a couple people that came into the critique group, and they defended their work. And one of them, I just stopped her one time and I said, first of all, here's one thing. Are you going to go to the house of every reader 
who buys this book and say, are you to page 212 yet? Because on that page, this thing happens. And I know it's a little confusing, but if you just let me explain it to you, then it'll be fine, right? And it, and she was like, no. And I'm like, second of all, if you're just here at Critique Group to defend your work, like, why are you here? Because I go to my Critique Group and I'm like, if you say that you love it, if anybody says they love it within the first five minutes of when I've submitted something and you're critiquing it, I'm leaving. Like, I'll be back next week, but I'm leaving. I don't need the feedback that you love it. Wonderful. Great. I did some good writing. Fantastic. How can I make it better? How can I make it better? And so I'm I'm constantly choosing and using tools to make things better because I constantly want to improve. And people are like, you've been writing for a long time and, you know, all this stuff. It doesn't matter. There's always something more to learn. There's always a way to improve your writing and get better. There's always something that you can learn from someone else. There's always something that you can add to your toolbox that you go, okay, every story starts with the book that comes out, I read it. I read it. I've become really good friends with Jessica Brody, you know, from the Save the Cat Writes a Novel thing. We're actually, um, I'm also president of Idaho Writers Guild. We're having a workshop with her March 11th, the virtual workshop you can attend from anywhere, whatever the, you know, whatever you want, right? But, um, but part of it is we're both story structure nerds. Like we see a new story structure. I'm like, I got to read that. Now, maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's great. I don't know. But I read it anyway, because I want to see somebody else's perspective on how to how to construct story. If they're wrong, now I have enough of a background of studying enough story structure. I can go, yeah, yeah, that's not, no, we're not going to do that. Or that doesn't resonate with me and that's not going to work. But I do it anyway, because there's always a nugget you can learn from that person. There's always, they always bring something to the table that you can learn from. And so that's, that's a part of this process is to go, okay, because well, that critique group advice is great advice. Like at some point you don't defend your work. Like the way we're doing things now, you submit things ahead of time, people give you written feedback, and then you come to the critique group and you ask questions about their written feedback. So that way you're getting feedback on the things that you see that everybody had the problem with the same section and you can go, okay, so what do you guys think? What's really wrong there? And what are some ways that I can fix it, right? And so it's really pointed feedback at like, this is what I need to know. And that's really, really a valuable, that's a valuable way um, to learn more about your writing from the reader's point of view. Right. Yeah. And I think um, if they have any little tidbits on feedback on your overall like story arc, pacing, character development throughout that arc, then yeah, I mean, it's helpful. It's helpful regardless, uh, no matter what you think about your work. We are not all J.R.R. Tolkien, unfortunately. Yeah, you're not J.R. You're not um, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, you're not uh, the dude that didn't finish uh, Game of Thrones, hopefully. Um, you're not that guy. Uh, just calling you out there, buddy. Uh, finish your series because HBO did a really crappy job of doing it for you. Um, but uh, you're you're not that person. You are yourself. Okay, so you're going to start. You can kind of start by following someone else's footsteps, right? You can start by going, "Hey, I really like that story structure. I think I'm going to structure my story structure that way." That's not going to work for you long term. What's going to work for you is you're going to say, I started with this story structure or with this person's outlining ideas or this person's writing process or style. And then when you use those words, that's the most important words you're going to use in the whole process of your developing your own writing career is and then. And then is when you take what you started with and you adapt it to your process. That's what that's the most important thing that you can do, because you know, plotters are writing tools, scriveners are writing tool, all these other things are writing tools, but they're designed to do one thing, and that's to help you get your first draft done. Writers critique groups should be designed to help you get your first draft done and get it done well. If your critique group is not helping you do that, leave. If someone is not helping you in your writing process to become a better writer and move towards publication and get those drafts done and move towards what your goals are that you're trying to accomplish with publishing, just don't talk to them anymore about writing. You can still be friends with them, go have a beer or whatever, but don't talk to them anymore about your writing career because it's not helping you. The most important thing is to have that community and that support and those tools around you that help you accomplish your writing goals. So start with a process, 
find your and then find your community and if something is hindering your process don't do it anymore I'm leaving the episode off with that because uh, that was pretty sound advice and very motivating. And holy crap, this has been a great episode. What a wonderful conversation. It really has been awesome having you on the show. I don't know about any of our listeners, but I certainly learned a lot. And I really want to wrap up this episode so that I can like go back and look at my outline and figure out what the hell I'm doing with my story. Uh, But before we go, Troy, I wanted to ask you if you wanted to share something about yourself to our listeners. Um, I'll just share. I've been doing this a long time. Um, I, I do a lot of things now. I'm an editor. I'm the education lead with Plotter, uh, all those kind of things. You can find information about that at plotter.com. You can find information about me at troylambertwrites.com, or you can Google my name. Um, if you Google my name and I don't come up right away, uh, your internet is down, contact your provider. And as soon as they have that back up, um, I'm all over the Googles, as my uh, son used to say when I, he was in middle school. Um, so you can find me ways like that. But if you have questions, if you have questions about plotter, if you have questions about plotting, if you have questions about story, or if you just want to follow me on social media and see my great looking German shepherd, um, you can do that. And I'm happy to have you um, along for those things. But seriously, one of my one of the whole reasons I do the things that I do is to help new writers. And so if you have questions, if you have issues, if you want to talk, um, reach out. I'm I'm here for you. Well, this has been absolutely amazing, and it's been a pleasure talking to you today. So thanks again for joining us on the podcast. All of Troy's links will be in the description below if you'd like to check out his work and learn more about himself and Plotter. But in the meantime, we will turn it over to you guys. Do you have multiple plots and story arcs in your manuscript, and how do you manage them? Let us know your answers in the comments so we can chat about it. Remember, we release a new episode every Wednesday. Next week, we're discussing how to turn a bad idea into a good idea. So to ensure you don't miss it, hit the subscribe button on your way out. And as always, thanks so much for listening to the Merry Writer podcast. We'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Excessive Caffeine. We drink a lot. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.